You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Somerset County Tourism. Hear stories from local brewers and distillers from the New Jersey Sip and See Trail on episode 647 of Beer Sessions Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts. We talk about food. About music with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one of your hosts, Darren Bresnitz. We are so excited for today's episode, which is dedicated entirely to our conversation with Tom Gosney, the founder and product inventor of Gosney. You might know him for his ubiquitous oven that has been popping up pizza enthusiast backyards all across the world and he's on the show today to talk about the tom gosney signature edition rock box which celebrates tom's 15 years odds defying journey from substance abuse he talks about the start of a story how he came into pizza designing ovens and where he is today he also lends some advice for people who might be struggling with their own addiction and the partners that he's partnered with to help raise $100,000 for this very cause. It's a really inspiring conversation, and we're so happy that he can make the time to chat with us. A big thank you to his team for setting this up, and Tommy over at Lasorted, who turned us on to Gosney in the first place. Thank you to everyone. Please sit back and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network.
Tom, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Congratulations. Such a big week for you. We really appreciate you making the time to chat with us today. Um, you know, in reading your story this week and, and seeing all the events that you've done, um, it's been a really beautiful thing to witness because I think in the last year or two, for anyone who's outside the industry, maybe the mainstream as a whole has learned more about the food industry and its relationship with trauma and addiction. Um, but few have been as open about it to the point of where you've made it part of your story. You know, people have been like, oh, I, I did this, but it's not really me anymore. I've separated it from an older me. But you've continued to go back to it as sort of a source of inspiration. What make you? What made you want to include it? What made you want to be so forthcoming about it and, and sort of the, the beginning, the catalyst of your journey to where you are today? Yeah, man, it's a good question. Um, so firstly, you know, like my, my story and my past, you know, everyone says they don't regret their past and it's made them who they are today. And that's like real, but that's like, feels quite cliche to say, right. But I, I, you know, I wouldn't change any of my past. I, I enjoyed parts of it when I was in it. I'm like really pleased to fucking leave it and get it behind me. Um, but equally, man, like going from that, like complete sort of degenerative, destructive, crazy lifestyle into, into a, a lifestyle with a bit more clarity, drive, purpose, focus. That's like, that's a, that's a big transition, right? For anyone. And, and so, you know, I said this recently when we were talking, like my story going from addiction to recovery, to business, to design is like a, is, is a journey that I needed to share with the world because I think it can drive um, like hope and inspiration to some people really struggling to like make make changes in their lives but I, I suppose the big thing um, was the fact that it just had to come at the right time man I'm like 15 years clean so I've been doing this for a while I wanted I didn't thanks man I didn't want it to to be a, a PR stunt for the business right like the brand can quite quite easily wrap a framing around my story i didn't want to share my story publicly until the brand had got to a point of significance and it could stand on its own two feet and also man just like building our you know building our audience man and building our platform it you know i've like a you know i've shared recently with a few of my team members that i feel super privileged that we've built this audience now that i can tell my story to and whilst it's like a very vulnerable thing to do we we've got the ability to for the ripples to go further man I I think part of of why that ripples out and what makes sense of why you waited is because you do get into the why. Like you do really dig into the details as as ugly or as painful as they might be in a way that doesn't gloss it over, that doesn't make it cliche. Um, you know, during that time when you were really in addiction and struggling with drugs and alcohol, what were you looking for? Like, what was it that you were trying to to fill in your life with with that form of escapism? Yeah, man, I was looking for peace and quiet from my head. I think, um, I think, do you know what, man? I, I struggled in school, dyslexic, didn't didn't learn in the classroom. Because of that, you know, I went to I went to a good school. My parents sent me to a good school. I was like one of the only kids in there that didn't really do that well, and. So I think from a really young age, man, I had like self-esteem issues. I didn't understand why I couldn't do things like other kids. And um, and I think there's just a high level of frustration. I think where I didn't didn't 
succeed in school. I got, you know, like lightly bullied as well when I was a little, when I was a little, really young little chap. And I think, I think it was like a form of rebellion, man. I rebelled out with my behavior to get positive attention and to become more popular. And like, as soon as I realized like acting out would, would deliver friends and it would, it would make me relevant. Right. It, it just like, it was like fuel to the fire. It was like, well, let's just keep fucking going. And then you hit the, hit young teens and you find drugs and that's like tipping rocket fuel, rocket fuel on it, man. And then it just exploded. Right. Right, right, right. And it did. I mean, it does give you a sense of community when you find this common thing. Um, and that, you know, at a young age, and that could be music, it could be drugs, it could be comic books and things like that. Just sometimes um, when you're searching for connection with people, especially at a young age, it, you don't always get to choose like what that connective tissue is. Yeah, mate, do you know what? Like drug drugs calmed down my head. They like made everything feel a little bit easier and I found that community. And it was like, do you know what? When I was like 14, 15, we found hard drugs. I was with a a, a really small group of like, what became brothers to me, man? And it was unbreakable then, you know? Like my mum was trying to get me into rehab at 16 and I was just like fiercely defensive of my lifestyle. I didn't want to change it. I loved it. I, it was just like, I found like my, I found like my place, man. And even though it was like bullshit and bravado and it wasn't me, it was a place that I felt comfortable for the first time, man. And, and it took a long time. Um, it took a long time to come to the realization of how destructive it was. I mean, that's, that's tough to do at an older age. That's tough to do when you have some real life experience and you did it at, at, in your late teens, early twenties. What, you know, not, not to, I don't, we don't need to talk about like the, the, the low point, but what was it that made you finally realize that you want to change your life and what support did you have in your life that gave you the ability to change? So I, there was a transition that happened in my later teenage years where it was like, rebellious self-destructive but you know like but but fun right it was fun it was like i don't i don't give a fuck like and this bravado of like being this person that supposedly didn't care i truly did right i was just but the drugs and alcohol masked like the higher level of consciousness that i had to feel around like guilt and shame and all that stuff it was like this cyclical you know and um but, you know, it, it became really real for me, man. I got in trouble. I got in trouble with details that I won't go into. But I, I, got, in tr- I got in trouble one, one specific time. And it changed things for me, man. It was like my, I truly understood for the first time that my, my behavior, there was not a huge amount of positive coming out of it, right? Through the drug taking, the alcohol abuse, whilst I could lose myself in it, like the outcomes of like the majority of my of my sessions were were highly negative and one specifically one specifically i i got into i got into some trouble and and that triggered me trying to like make changes and change the way that i was using alcohol and the big moment for me man was like i was like right i'm going to slow down my drinking and my drug taking and it got fucking worse it was like when i said i'm going to slow it down it was like this that's when i felt the addiction in full force within me right and it was just like my because I was trying to stop my drug addiction just escalated. It went out of control. And so did, so did the alcohol abuse, man. And like, that was when it was like, shit, do you know what? Yeah. I'm not in control here. This isn't fun anymore, man. Like this, I, I don't have a say in this stuff. Yeah. I think, 
you think you got it. You think you have control in your life. And then you're like, oh, I'm not in control of my life anymore. And the community that you had is like, well, that's on you, man. Like we're, we're here for you to a point, but not maybe the point of our good way. And I think anyone who's either slowed down or wanted to get off that sort of a type of addiction train, you got to look inwards. It's, 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 that's the biggest thing that I've seen about it is that people will be there for your point, but you got to want to make that change and you got to find something. I mean, you got to find something to fill that hole. I think, I think addictive personality is addictive personality and like what you find for that addiction is sometimes it's benefit. Sometimes it's a benefit. And I think even today you just don't find a lot of, you know, so much social interaction is based around like partying. Totally. Um, totally, man. And it, you know, you find out who your friends are when you try and yeah. slow down, right? And you're going out getting smashed with people. Yeah. There's people that want you to continue being the guy that's fucking in more of a mess in the corner than them. Sure. And there's people that actually want you to, you know, because my my addiction and using man made people feel better about their situation. They weren't as messy as me. And it justified it for them, you know. At least like, I'm not was... Tom. At least I'm not Tom, right? <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah, oh, the, yeah. oh, I didn't realize I was the uh, the litmus test here. I didn't understand yeah, that that was, that was my role here. Um, so in the second in the second point to your question, man, yeah. it was like hit that moment of trying to stop, and then you know it, it, it that probably happened when I was like 18 or 19, and then it still took me a couple of years to get to the point where I was ready. I I got jumped one night, man, when we were out by by a group of guys, and and they they um they did a real number on me. They like cracked my skull and knocked my teeth out my mouth and just, you know, they, 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 they were out, you know, out looking for a fight. And I was, I was, I was their victim. And that, that moment, man, was, it was such a traumatizing moment for me, but it was like one that I'm so grateful for today. It was like such a high impact physical thing. I lost my teeth. I got my eye socket smashed, my skull cracked. It was, it was brutal. And it sent me on this, like the trauma of it, man, scared the shit out of me and it sent me on this like self-destructive path man where there was going to be no happy ending really really quickly and so i was i was drinking to oblivion using drugs to oblivion and within sort of eight weeks of doing that consistently like eight to ten weeks it was just like it was it was sort of unsustainable and i you know like fortunately to your point of like what's what support did i have my parents have always been there. They've always supported me. And I um, I sort of put my hands in the air and said to my mum that I'm, you know, I'm ready to get help. And within, within me, I would say like two weeks of doing that, we'd found a rehabilitation centre in South Africa. Um, and I was, I was on a plane out to SA. And um, yeah, man, it was incredible. It was, it was petrifying. Um but, you know, I, I decided that I wanted to get out of England, you know, like the rehabilitation centers that I'd had experience with before. And they're not all like this in England, but, you know, they were very, very expensive and they didn't seem to really target the root cause of the issue. And and also, like, I felt like I just needed to get away from the sort of social dynamics. If I had my friends accessible, you know, when I was going through withdrawals and stuff like that, there's, there's a high probability that I might've thrown in the towel like three weeks in when it was really tough, you know, and have that option to leave. So I, for me, I thought, you know, let's, 
let's get me out to a country where I can like really detach from the reality that my my life is today. You know, almost like take away my passport and I'm there till I'm ready to leave. <laughs> yeah, and um, and that was what we did, man. Found a found a treatment facility in Durban in South Africa. Um, it was like an incredible place. It was like completely changed my life. Um, and and that was the beginning of of my of my new journey, man. So, for anyone who's listening and has struggled or is struggling with addiction and and wants to get help. What's the biggest piece of advice you could offer them? So there's, there's historically been such a stigmatism around speaking out about it. You know, I mean, even when I, even when I was like early stages of recovery, right. There's people that were in my life that were close to me, that their response to it was just like, well, just toughen the fuck up and have a drink and then put it down. Just, you know, you just mediate it, like moderate it, you know? And it's just like, and it's like that sort of, and I'm not saying all old school people are like that, but there was a stigmatism to around people being able to speak out about struggling around their mental health and around addiction. And I think, you know, one of the things that I do, I, I sort of wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm like quite an open person, and but lots of people aren't, right? And and facing into the fact that you're like really battling with addiction, it, you know, like just just even saying it out loud for the first time to someone is, you know, a large part of the battle. And so I, you know, you, you know, deep down if you're really struggling, man, and like being able to come out and say it and, and take ownership of it and take control of uh, what's going on in your life. I think that's a really big step, man. And there's you know, part of the reason why I'm sharing my story and doing what I'm doing today is because, you know, it, it gives, it gives, hopefully it can inspire some people to be able to take that step and, and face into the fact that they can have like a much happier life. Um, you know, if, if, if they decide to take action and so taking action, I think is, is probably the first big step. Um, yeah. And understanding that, well, I don't want to generalize, but a lot of times there is help when you ask for it and you can get support. And it may not be your immediate family and it may not be the people that you're partying with, but you know, there's, there's help out there. But you know, like we've, we've partnered with these charities, um, you know, to write love on our arms in the U S and, you know, they're driving awareness um, to addiction and what you can do and how you can get help. And, you know, it's becoming, um, you know, it's it's becoming much more widely accepted to be able to talk about this now, and this, this sort of the stig- stigma of it is is getting diminished. And so there is lots of support, and not only speaking to people, but you know, when I came out of treatment and out of rehab, I spent three years immersing myself in cocaine anonymous meetings. Man, you know, I met a like minded group of people. I went to three, four meetings a week. I surrounded myself with a social network of people that were in exactly the same boat as me. I connected to people that I really, I really admired that were further down the track than me. And then also people that were, you know, like newer to recovery than me. And we, you know, we cooked together, we ate together, we shared the challenges and built, it was community, man, is so important. Irrespective of like what you struggle with in life, right? Community is just such a grounding level of security that you can build around you. And so I, I went out in search for, for a new community when I came out of treatment. And that was, that was game changing for me, man. 
And also, do you know, do you know what I would say? One other thing is like not being, not being afraid to have boundaries, right. Was another thing. Like I was, when I came out of treatment and even for someone that doesn't go into treatment, you know, it's, I was like fiercely adamant that my recovery came first above everything else. You know, like my friends would pressurize me to, you know, like, historic friends that maybe weren't my friends that would pressurize me to go out and be in certain environments. I just had absolutely no issue telling them exactly my position where I was comfortable and where I wasn't. And you know, being really proud to put my recovery first, man, and put myself first, you know, and, and giving myself a bit of love. Yes. Um, love and food and taking care of yourself. Uh, we're going to take a quick musical break, and when we come back, we're going to get into your your journey with food and um, all of the incredible things that you've been talking about this week and the new pizza oven that you've put out to help bring awareness to addiction. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. So quick to be wise When my luck runs out we improvise Your heart's on display But I have nothing to say Clothes, 
I've left to give you These promises may not outlive you Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are sitting down with Tom Gosney, founder, product inventor of Gosney. And you mentioned in the previous act that part of your road to recovery was meeting this new community and the food that you shared together. Um, I know that when you were at home uh, after rehab, you started getting into cooking. What drew you into the kitchen during this time in your life? Yeah, man. I um, I I came out of treatment. I came back to England from South Africa, and you know, I I was fiercely determined as a twenty-one-year-old kid that I wouldn't have my life dramatically changed. I wouldn't be that isolated guy that like no one could be around, or like friends didn't want to open a beer around, and therefore like completely socially isolate me. So, you know, I, randomly against against the advice of my rehabilitation center, um, you know, I, I started going out. I went out a couple of times into clubs and I like threw myself into like, I'm, I'm fiercely fucking determined to be a normal person here. I'm just not going to drink. Right. And like not going to drink, not going to do drugs. And you realize really quickly, man, that unless you're half cut going out into a club where everyone's hanging off you, repeating themselves. It's just boring. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, sure. you know, it wasn't, yeah, yeah, it yeah. wasn't fun. You, you know, you, you, you need, you need, you need a bit of what everyone else is doing for it to be enjoyable after a while. Right. And so, so it was, it was a, a really quick realization to me that I certainly wasn't going to sort of fill my, my sort of like social, um, fill my social bucket with with going out into clubs pubs bars and all that stuff it was just it was done right like my recovery was more important and so it was really it was like a level of vulnerability for me to go and find ways to socialize that weren't surrounded or centered around booze which in england is is challenging right there's a you know like lots of world lots of countries in the world america too man yeah yeah everyone everyone gets smashed man it's the thing to do isn't it it's like just what everyone does and so Mate, it was, there was a few different things with food, food, like the preparation of food, the planning. It was like, it's like it became a ritual for me, man. It was like, what am I going to plan to cook? It was like a culinary adventure going into, um, you know, different, different, um, types of cuisine, you know, going from Thai to sushi, to pizza, to burger, you know, like it was just an adventure, man. You could eat whatever you could create. And, and like the preparation and the planning was almost like, it helped me to detach and help me to, yeah, yeah, help yeah. me to like really, you, you know, it's like a ritual, right? It's yep. you're just like a ritual of like prepping veg and you lose yourself in it and you get immersed, you put some music on. And then, and then the, the community that came with cooking, mate, it just, it quite quickly, you know, like we, I would throw dinner parties and have pals around and we would do like insane burgers, like smash burgers. And we would do all this different stuff. And, Quite quickly, I found, you know, it became, it almost became my purpose to be the person that provided great food and a sense of community to my friends, you know, just without drugs and drink. And then it was magical, man. Like, we made pizzas one night. Yeah. We cooked them in the conventional oven. They were shit and soggy. <laughs> but the process of, the process of like opening the dough, I had three, I had my girlfriend who was with me at the time, who's now my wife, Laura, my friend Owen and my friend Lee. 
And I remember like I remember it like it was yesterday, the first ever pizza session that we did. I made the dough, we proved it, we opened our own dough balls, we topped it ourselves. And that entire process of standing around like a, a countertop in a kitchen and then like topping your own pizza, I prepped all the toppings and then putting them in the oven. That was just like that you know, that sort of like connection, participation, that moment sharing that together was was magical. Pizza was shit, but then it was like <laughs> That was that was that was that was legit, man. I'm like, how do we how do we make the pizza like world class? And so it was that evening. I said to my girlfriend Laura, you know, I want to buy a pizza oven for the garden. I went online and I did. They were just so expensive, and yeah. there was no one doing them. They were like thousands and thousands of pounds. And so I um I went on a journey, man, to build my own. Literally the next morning, I started digging foundations in the garden. I built this monstrosity of a brick oven after a couple of hours' research on how to build them. Um, and, mate, it was it was ugly. It chewed through a load of wood because I put the flue in the wrong place. But when that thing got hot, man, and we cooked a pizza next to a fire, and it cooked in 60 seconds, and it was, like, crispy, and, it, it mate, it was just, like, it blew my fucking mind, man. My eyes opened up to it, and it was just this wild experience. It was... It, you know, like fire is like super primal. There's like yeah. sensory elements of smoke and taste and flavor and interaction. And then pizza, like theatrically cooking in 60 seconds, man, was just this wild thing. And all of a sudden, my like entire social dynamic changed. Friends, instead of bringing beers around, man, they would bring toppings. And oh like it, it was, it was, it was like by way of divine intervention, man, that. You know, alcohol just stopped being a part of my life. My friends stopped bringing it, not because I'd asked them to, because I was fiercely protective not to be the guy that isolated myself. No, of course, but of it course. just the oven just organically changed my social existence, man. And it was it's it saved me, man. It gave me a life, it gave me a life, gave me purpose, and my friends were infatuated by it. And it was it just opened up this new world to us. It's crazy. I mean, it's so beautiful to build something yourself especially something that is gonna inspire people to be a part of a new part of your life um and to feed them but you know anyone who's had their chance to put their hands in some dough um and throw some toppings on it like to create it and to eat it it's such a straightforward thing in some ways and in other ways it's very magical for most people who've never cooked before or most people who've never thought that you can make your own pizza at home that wasn't coming out of the freezer. Totally. Um, and then to share that, because it's, I mean, that's the great thing about pizza and uh, just being able to, it's like inherently easy to make. If someone else is making the dough, um, you know, <laughs> not everyone wants to make the dough, but to like make it and then to cut up into slices and share it, like it's just such a, like from start to finish, it's just such a great thing to come together around. Totally, um, totally, man. Yeah. We would spend hours in the garden putting like scotch bonnets on peepers. Everyone uh, would create everyone <laughs> right. would create their own stuff, man. And it just became it was like a hobby. It wasn't just eating, man. It was like this thing that all my friends threw themselves into. We loved it. It was like it instantly became this this like weekly ritual, man. We never did anything differently. It was crazy. It changed all of our lives. I mean it's a beautiful thing, and I'm sure that people saw your oven. And we're like, all right, I want my own oven. But that's a pretty big jump for you to be like, oh, I'm going to make my own oven. And whoops, the flu's in the wrong spot. How did you start building ov- ovens for other people? And when did you start to realize 
that this could be something more than just you getting together in the backyard with a couple of friends. Yeah, I think quite quickly the, the social impact like captured me and and cooking on the product personally, right? Just from a, a pure enjoyment perspective, loved cooking with fire, loved the way it made food cook differently, the way it changed the flavor of food, the texture of food. It was just this new world that I'd not experienced. Um, and then I I'd, I'd heavily researched how, you know, like I've got like quite an engineering mindset. So I set away on a, on a journey, you know, I was researching how to build bridges, how to build arches, you know, nothing to do with ovens. Like how, how you, how you, you know, lay bricks to support their own weight and all that stuff. And so I designed, you know, like a, a really well executed hand built brick oven that I started building, but quickly realized, man, that there was no scalability to it as a business. When I, I remember I was building one of them in my brother's, my brother's back garden, my brother in law's back garden, my sister's husband, and we were tiling it and we built it and we were tiling it. We rendered it with stucco on the outside and we were tiling it. And, um, you know, we were just having a conversation about how incredible the ovens were. And he just said to me, bro, this is like your thing, man. This is, you know, and it, I, I was sort of like getting there anyway. And he was just like, this, legitimately, like, this is the business that you need to jump into and you need to go after. And and that was it. And that, it was like, from that point on, it was like, bang. And that was maybe like the third or fourth oven we built, personally, when I was just in this very early stage of doing it. And then quite quickly realized there was no scalability to building these, these hand-built brick ovens took sort of seven eight nine days to build and so i was like there's got to be a way that we can make it more affordable for people rather than buying these giant ovens hand-built brick ones that we were building you know the cost of building it with my time was like a couple of thousand pounds so i was like how do we make how do we make this accessible for more people and that's where i i threw myself into learning around you know like researching and learning about pizza ovens material compositions all of that stuff and i essentially on a piece of paper, designed my first ever oven, man. I, I learned about reverse cast molding with fiberglass <laughs> molds and, sure. you know, just th- threw myself into it, man. And just like learn and just, you know, one of the biggest things that I've always done, Darren is like, had conviction, man, going to do something, just go in, go hard, go all in. Like the addiction pulls through. Right. But I was just like a, f- a force, man. You couldn't stop me. And I was like, I was gonna, I was going to build it into something. I just never knew what it would become at those early stages, you know? And not to fast forward too much about the the journey, but you have now become a force where the name Gosney in many ways is synonymous with at-home pizza ovens. Um, and I know that you got your start with building ovens in, in kitchens, but you made that jump. You know, you were able to make that jump from like backyards to to reverse engineering in those early days, um, knowing where you are now. What was the support from the professional um, culinary community where you gave um, and built industrial ovens for professional kitchens and then from the at home community when you started making stuff for people's backyards? Yeah, yeah. So we... um. I started, we started with a company called the Stonebake Oven Company and we made traditional like igloo style ovens and we, we launched those, but quite quickly into it, I saw an opportunity to design a, a line of commercial ovens. The only ones that you could buy were like pre-built in a factory. You had to take shop fronts down to crane them into your stores. People were spending 
20, 30, 40,000 taking a shop front down to get the oven in. And I just, you know, I was just like, there's just got to be a better way. Like most, most light bulb moments, right? It's like, how can we improve upon this sort of archaic old process? And I designed the first truly modular fast assembly installation system for a giant professional oven that meant we could take it through a standard doorway and we could install it in one day we could have the oven built and done and out and we pat we patented that um and we launched it and within a year of launching that not only that but like we also designed products that worked exceptionally well so we used really expensive materials, highly dense refractory materials that retained their heat for ages. The ovens used less fuel. They stayed hotter for longer. They had more consistent bakes. They were the first ovens in the UK to pass um, DEFRA, which is the Clean Air Act, that we had less emissions than other ovens. So we threw, we threw, the, we threw the kitchen sink, man, at making the ovens the best performing ovens. Um, because you know what? We were in a world where Italy is like, a few doors down in Europe and like, and you try and sell an, like a a young nipper, a young English nipper trying to sell (laughs) Neapolitan ovens to Italians, man, you've got to do something different. Right, 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 right. right. uh, You know, so, so we did, we, we created this modular system and we created ovens that outperformed the competition and, and, and the market heard us, man, saw it. And we became the market leader overnight, man. And, um, and do you know what? It was an incredible journey. We 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 partnered with some of the world's best Neapolitan pizza brands and we supported them. And we just learned a ton about engineering and about the creation of pizza and the science that goes behind making pizza. And so it was like a really fortunate journey in the fact that we we built those commercial ovens. It was almost like a it was like a, a doctorate of science in wood fired cooking was built by working with commercial customers and then we we used all of that engineering experience to then produce consumer at home products that were innovative that were more accessible that were that were that were easier for people on a budget to be able to purchase but full of like innovation and r&d to perform like commercial ovens but at home and that's why the 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 products that we've produced you know like rockbox and the dome they've just been knockout successes is because just drive engineering principles into the man to make them work brilliantly and like high quality incredible engineering and just being a sucker for a brand and the way stuff looks they always had to be beautiful man and that those are the sort of three ingredients that we followed at Gosnet. I love it. Um, we're gonna take a quick musical break, and when we come back, uh, we're gonna talk about the Tom Gosney signature Rockbox edition uh, and what you're doing uh, with raising awareness for um, addiction and mental health. We have a another song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. Her that- 
I'm Jimmy Carboni, host of Beer Sessions Radio on HRN. I recently hosted a live podcasting event with local beer and spirits makers from beautiful Somerset County, New Jersey. We spoke on the farm that is home to Flounder Brewery and Belmar Distillery, one of the most beautiful stops along the Sip and See Craft Beverage Trail. To me, those two worlds, brewery and distillery, are extremely complementing businesses, especially in a unique location like this. So it immediately helped this become a destination to have a great experience, whether it's the beer atmosphere we've got going in here on the old barns or the great experience you can have in there with these incredible cocktails that are created there. It's complementary to each other. You can have two completely different experiences all within a 10-foot walk from each other. Before the event, I was able to tour the area and see the historic Bridge Tender's house along the serene DNR Canal, walk the bike and hiking trails, and take in the lush farmland. Then we settled into the centuries-old Dutch barn turned brewery for a lively discussion. It was always important for us to create our space, our livelihood that we want to share with everybody else of being a community-centric location. It is what makes us a brewery in this state different from a barn or restaurant. Um, you know, we're obviously family-friendly here. Um, we have a lot of different groups that have their meetings here during the week. We just really want to become a community hub. You can listen to this episode of Beer Sessions Radio, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again to Somerset County Tourism for supporting this episode. Learn more about the Sip and See Passport Program at visitsomersetnj.org. That's visit visitsomersetnj.org. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're here with Tom Gosney, uh, and you've had a really big week. You've had a lot of a lot of announcements, and I want to start with the new oven you just put out because um, it seems like you're always trying to design a better oven, um, something that, as you said previously, is going to make. Um, someone at home notice and say, this is the, the oven I need to have in my backyard. Talk to me a little about the um, Tom Gosney signature edition rock box, how it came about and what it stands for. Sure, man. Um, so it's a really meaningful one to me. Obviously we've been talking about my history and my past. And I think, um, you know, there's a moment in time. I, I I always knew my story of like addiction and recovery would would be part of my future, and 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 it would it would be part of my journey telling that story. And I suppose where we've got to in the business now, Gosney has matured into a global company, and it's standing on its own two feet. I never really wanted to launch my story to help prop the business up. I wanted the business to, 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 to be built on its own merits. And so it's taken me some time to feel like the right moments truly lean in and tell my story. And, um, Rockbox, I, I'm so privileged now to be able to have a business and a product that we can build that we can center around a cause that's so meaningful to me. Like I get to, I get to sort of express myself through the product design that we do and so the 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 tom gosney signature edition rock box is like my sort of perfect expression of the coolest version of rock box that we could have which is like you know it's it's completely murdered out it's like black (laughs) ceramic coated black front black silicon black legs it's got like an inverted dial on it you know it just it just looks like stealth and sick and it's really cool 
And it's some, something that I've always loved um, in the way that we design. And I feel so fortunate on the basis that I've, we, you know, we've been able to attach my story to that product and we're donating proceeds from the sale of that product to charities that we're supporting to drive awareness for, for drug and alcohol addiction. Yeah, I think there is something really powerful about, I don't want to say holding back on your story because you, you've been honest about it. But to say, here's a 15-year mark, um, and I've built this community and this soapbox in many ways, and this is what I'm going to do with it now. And there is a way that it does feel, I don't want to say genuine or authentic, because like that, I don't want to diminish anyone else, but it has power. It's, it's, it's like, we put a lot of thought into this, um, and you're not just doing it on your own because you did, and you mentioned them before, but to write love on her arms. Um, is someone you partnered with, who are they a little bit more detail and why was it important for you to, to bring on a specialized addiction charity partner for this? Well, you know, they're absolutely phenomenal at what they do. They, you know, they drive awareness to the stuff that we were talking about earlier, Darren, right? Like the, the sort of the stigmatism about talking about, needing help and problems and so they they're they're an incredible group of people that have been doing this um a little bit longer than i've been in recovery you know maybe i think it's a year longer than my recovery started they've been running the charity they've donated over three million now to help the cause um of of driving awareness to help people and you know they're just brilliant brilliant people that can help us amplify the message and amplify our efforts of, of what we're doing. We obviously at Gosney, I can tell my story. We don't have an infrastructure to be able to support placing our money somewhere to help people. So we were really looking to drive the sales of our products to generate donations that we can give to charities that are already doing amazing things. And so that's why we've chosen charity, three different charities in Australia, America, and the UK um and so yeah that that's that's you know that's it's been incredible to be able to partner with these guys and be able to to support you know their journeys uh, you know finding food as your solace and as a place to pour your energy um in this journey of yours and, and getting into the food industry it comes with its own I don't special form of irony in some ways because addiction and, and is such a big part of the industry. Um, and I've seen, you know, I think of like Philip Spear down in Austin and, and other, other chefs who have really um, found a way to build their own support systems for other chefs who are struggling. And I know that you've partnered with a few other restaurants this week to help bring awareness, but how much do you find yourself working with the restaurant industry to help people who cook or chefs or are in the service world um, with your mission and, and, and being able to get them help and show that there isn't a stigma with it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, th that's part of the journey and part of what we're trying to do now. So, you know, like my, my story, I've been open about my story, but we've never put it on a platform. And I think we've, we, we're friends with, you know, the brand is friends with a ton of people. We supply commercial ovens, right? So a ton of our customers and friends are, are restaurateurs. And so, 
you know, I've seen it firsthand. A lot of my friends are in industry, struggle with mental health, struggle with the hours, struggle with the drinking culture after work, and obviously substance abuse that takes place. Just to, essentially, you know, justified largely in many cases, and I'm not being stereotypical here, but to deal with the extreme hours, like late nights, early mornings, all this prep, you know, it's it's crazy. And um, I, I, I think also, like, back to... You know, even when I was younger, you know, like 10, 10, how, 10 years ago or so, there was still like, you know, if you didn't go for beers after work, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you'd get shit for it. And, um, or you wouldn't and I, advance, I, I think, you wouldn't advance in your career. T- totally. And I even find that now, like in my recovery, right? I meet, I meet people in the business world and you can see that they lose like, a little bit of excitement when I tell them that I'm in recovery and or I don't drink, right? They want to go out and they want to get smashed and they want to, you know, they want to have a knees up. And, you know, sometimes it's been isolating for me. And, you, you, you know, you have to, you have to, like I said earlier, man, you've got to have like solid boundaries in place and you've got to be fiercely protective and proud of the journey that you're in. And so for me, you know, this, this entire process that we're going through, like raising awareness and building community around it helps my recovery, right? It like, it, it truly is like, cementing long-term recovery in my life and helping me continue to 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 walk on the journey that I'm on but hopefully also you know delivering some hope to people and and to people that don't have um alcoholism or drug addiction issues you know to drive awareness to to people that are around people that maybe do that you know don't necessarily apply that peer pressure to people and you know, it's. I feel so fortunate at the moment. There's such a movement in in mental health, and specifically men's mental health as well. Because, you know, and and so being able to be part of that man and just shed awareness and try and help take the edge off it for a lot of people is just a, a very humbling and proud experience for me to be part of. I mean, it's a beautiful thing, and it's a beautiful sentiment, and. You know, when I got your bio, when we get a lot of bios here, I mean, over the years, um, none have ended on a quote, really. And I just want to read it because I it stuck with me since I got it. Um, it says, you are worthy, you are capable, you have purpose, you can achieve everything you want to achieve, you are not alone, which has been in my head since your team sent it over. Where Where did that come from? And why is it important to you to include that in the press materials that you send out as your final thought? Man, like, do you know, one thing that my parents have always given me is a belief that anything is possible, right? And um, and I think I live by that. I think I set up the business. You know, there's so so many people that have been in my life, in my journey, that have told me that I wouldn't amount to shit, that the business would never be anything, that you can't build a fucking business, you've got no education, you've got no qualifications, you've got all this shit, right? And like, you know, you just stick your middle finger up to all of those people, all of those cynical people that tell you you can't do shit, right? Because it's just bullshit. And I think like there's a message of like positivity, hope, um, I've got to where I am through having like fierce conviction and belief in myself that I could do anything that I set my mind to. Right. And I believe that today I will do anything I set my mind to. I will work hard. I will earn it. I'll treat people with respect. I'll be kind to people and I'll be humble. And like, I do those things and things happen in my life that I never thought was possible. Right. And so the message, the message 
you know, like, is to inspire people that they can do whatever they set their mind to, right? They can do whatever they want to do. Like, anything is possible, and no one should ever tell them otherwise. It's beautiful. Absolutely amazing. Well, Tom, I want to thank you for spending all the time with us today. We really appreciate it. But I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. It's you, your family, some close friends, and backyard, the oven's going. What's on the soundtrack? What are you playing? Oh, do you know what? That is... The hard one at the end. I, I, uh, everything else, um, so you're like, I, oh, I got the talking points. But the music part. <laughs> do you know what, man? Like, if my family and my dad was there, there's there's just... This, this is old school. I grew up on this, and I love it. You know, like, my, my old man listens to one band, right? And it's the Rolling Stones. So whenever my dad is there... We'll have the Rolling Stones, and I'm like a hip hop head, man. I grew up on drum and bass and hip hop, but I, I think it would be, I think it would be short sighted of me to say that I'm going to put Biggie on with my family there and my dad there, right? But um, you know, I, I don't know, I um, I like Rolling Stones. I, mate, I go through so many different journeys. Like you're asking for one track, and I'm being really no, 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 no. Give me a playlist. It's never one song. It's a journey. Yeah. Do you know what, man? I um. I go through stages, man. I go through stages. I listen to a lot of Mac Miller. Um, you know, I, I just really, really connect with with Mac Miller. Um, we listen to the Rolling Stones, listen to Pearl Jam. Um, I, I just literally, I know it's such a such a cop out answer. I, it's so mood dependent for me, man. Of I, course, you know, depending on what you know. If if I'm walking around New York, which I have been the last few days, mm. I've got like my grimy '90s hip hop playlist yes. on. I'm yep. walking around the streets looking at graph. If my dad's there, we've got Brown Sugar or Gimme Shelter belting out on our Sonos yeah, yeah, system, yeah. and like you know, blowing Dad's eardrums up. So, man, <laughs> anything, anything in between, man. I, you know, I love it all. Awesome. Well, Tom, great answer. You nailed it. We'll make sure that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, no, 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 no. It's so funny because everyone can talk about their lives, and the second you ask them about music, they're like, "Hold on, wait a second. I need, I need a few minutes to get my thoughts in order." Mate, do you know what? I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna get off this call, and I'm gonna be like, "I just like, I'll know exactly what the answer should have been." I'm, I feel <laughs> like I like, I feel like I danced around the question a ton, and I'll, I'll come away oh, and be like, "Shit, that was it." But, I, it's, it's not shit. I mean, you're talking about playing music with your family. Nothing wrong. There's no wrong yeah. answers. Um, if yeah, people yeah. want to read more about your story, get their hands on the new limited edition oven, or just uh, you know see what else you're up to, where can they go? How can they follow along? Be part of the community. So if if the guys want to check out um, check out our oven, they can go to gosney.com, g-o-z-n-e-y.com. Um, if anyone wants to connect with me the best place to do that is Instagram. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I live on my Insta, um, which is Tom Gosney, T O M G O Z N E Y at Tom Gosney. And so like people can hit me up there, get me a message. My story's on there. That links through to our YouTube channel where we've, where we've put a video together of me telling my story in a little bit more detail, covering the stuff that we've covered today. Right. But they can, they can see it and they can watch it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And thank you uh, to your team who helped set this up and congratulations on such a big week. Uh, and appreciate all the time you spent with us. We have one final song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. Ah! 
better Without any relation Dead on this stuff I will catch in a day Dream without closing my eyes Ooh yeah New sound temptation Can't look away
Snacky Tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.